I needed to be an advocate for change. I needed to speak up. I needed to urge the community to be more responsible drivers. We have to be held accountable for our actions. And we can see the difference in communities that are led by advocates versus communities that are led by extremely hardworking and well-intentioned agencies. It's just not progressing at the same pace. All of those engineers, so many of them don't ride a bicycle. I don't know how much they actually walk. Having the voice of people who understand it, going through it is really important. Today, right now, we have Offer Grenbeck. He's a UC Berkeley professor. What's your connection to Berkeley SafeTrack, Offer? So I'm the co-director of the UC Berkeley SafeTrack, which is a short way of saying a safe transportation research and education center. Can you explain what you all do? Our name is a bit of a mouthful, but it's a pretty good description of what we do, which is safe transportation research and education. We're a campus-based uh, research center and work uh, with government agencies uh, local, regional, state, and national uh, to do research and develop uh, safety programs. How do you interface with you know local advocates here and, and other places? So we work a lot with advocates. So our center is affiliated both with the Institute of Transportation Studies that traditionally has been more um, um, maybe engineering and city planning. And we also have an affiliation with the School of Public Health so it brings kind of this triangular relationship and then it puts us in a position that we uh, have many different uh, types of partners uh, so the advocates um, are involved in a lot of our uh, community programs we have a community pedestrian and bicycle safety training programs um, different places in the states usually it's local programs uh, so we get to partner with uh, local communities advocates and then we work a lot with uh, uh, Caltrans, the California Department of Transportation on developing um, safety programs. A lot of them are pedestrian safety, bicycle safety, and recently also um, um, other programs. I read an article, pandemic road conditions lead to deadly traffic related collisions. And in the article, uh, there's Damian Kevitt who's with us. Streets are for everyone, Damien Kevitt. Hey, Damien. Hey there. Damien was speaking on the Worldwide Day of Remembrance for Road Traffic Victims. You had someone there talking about how she was riding in South LA with her siblings and her stepfather, and her stepfather was killed in a hit and run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she'll be on uh, shortly on joining us, actually, um, herself. And SAFE does a lot, of, a lot of work across Southern California, but right now we're focusing on in South LA specifically, just because it's very much a hotbed of hit and runs and fatals. Uh, I mean, there's 80 fatalities in South LA this year alone out of total of, of 300 across the city. And they had uh, four fatals. The LA, city of LA has had four fatals since Tuesday. And so that's up 15% or is that more than that? In South LA, it's probably more than that. South LA, uh, depending upon, you realize it's year to date. So compared to previous, this time last year, um, it is, if you include serious injuries and fatalities, they're up 23 to 29% compared to last year, uh, serious injuries and fatalities. Um, this is compared to West LA, Central and uh, Valley bureaus, which are the, the three other traffic 
uh, divisions across the city of LA. Um, a lot of those are running either even or down, and South LA is running 23 to 29% higher than previous years. And their, their hit and runs is also off the charts. They're, they're ranging, the last time I checked, which was about a month ago, they were at 52% of their collisions are hit and runs. So Offer, you're taking statistics like these and making sense of, sense of it in some way? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what we try to do, <laughs> yeah. And what is the, I mean, the narrative that you've, that you've come up with, uh, a reason why, and, and I should also say that minor collisions or injuries have gone down. And so yeah. that is kind of a, a mind blowing or it's a confusing thing to, to understand, but I guess the explanation is that since there's less traffic, uh, people are speeding. And so when they hit, they hit faster, but they hit not as frequently. Is that the explanation? Uh, uh, yes, but it's a, um, it's, kind of, it's a combination of two things. And uh, going back to early in the pandemic or before the pandemic started, um, a lot of the more mainstream thinking was, it's derived from something called the safety pyramid. And that's the edit at the base. You have a very wide base of um, uh, conflicts, then a lot above it, a slightly smaller uh, layer of uh, near misses. And then you go up the top of the pyramid are uh, fatalities. And the idea has always been that, um, uh, that if you make something better, it's gonna make it better across all the different layers. So it's the assumption that the crashes are coming from the same causal mechanism. And some of them um, result, some of them end up being fatal and severe, and some of them are not. So going into the pandemic, thinking that if exposure, which we is a, a fancy word for saying level of activity, if the level of activity goes down, we expect to see uh, less crashes and accordingly less uh, fatalities. So then early um, in April, I think it was sometimes in April, we started tracking the data more closely on a weekly, actually almost daily basis. And uh, we are only able to do that for crashes that are happening on uh, what's called the state highway system. But those are typically, those are reported by the California Highway Patrol. And the reason we can only do those because the, um, the, uh, the data flow is usually fresher coming from the CHP crashes that happen on cities. Uh, it usually takes longer to report, but the state highway system is not just the freeways. It also includes uh, big arterials. Um, so it covers a wide range of crashes. And then uh, what we saw is kind of this deep. Oh, in addition to that, we're also able to monitor the level of activity um, here, the uh, approximation is done through something called VMT, vehicle miles traveled. So we can actually not just quantify the frequency or the number of crashes, we're actually looking at the rate, number of crashes per distance traveled. And uh, when we started looking at this uh, data, we were, um, in retrospect, shouldn't have been surprised, but we're seeing that there's a decoupling of the impact on minor uh, crashes and minor crashes, I'm using that to refer to crashes that have only a complaint of pain and some that are described medically as minor. Um, 
but there was some injury. And we saw that for those crashes, there was a big reduction in the frequency in the number of crashes, but also a big reduction of uh, almost 30% in the rate, which is the number of crashes that uh, happen per distance. And uh, we think that that is driven a lot by the fact that many of these crashes actually happen in congestion. And their fender benders involve some injury, but uh, there are a lot less, a lot fewer opportunities for congestion, and therefore a lot fewer opportunities for these uh, crashes. When we looked at the fatal and severe, we saw that not only did it not go down, it actually went up by about 15%. And that, uh, uh, Nick, as you said, that is driven much more by uh, the fact that uh, these are more free flow crashes for the most part, uh, higher speed. Um, um, and then as you said, that results, these are kind of more severe and fatal crashes. And going back to the safety pyramid, uh, it kind of uh, shows that that's not necessarily the best thinking about this because there's a situation that the minor crashes are better uh, but the fatal and severe are worse. So you can no longer assume a crash is a crash. If I'm able to make, to prevent some crashes, it's actually also gonna have an impact on fatal and severe. It actually shows us that these are slightly different causal mechanisms. And if we wanna prevent fatal and severe, we need to focus on specifically those crashes and not just any crash. Damien, the Worldwide Day of Remembrance for Road Traffic Victims. Did you, on this day, did you, you had a huge press conference, right? You had a, you were yeah. all over the media. Did you connect? Did you make any of these points at that time? Or um, I don't think we stated it quite as, as uh, eloquently as the professor just did in terms of all the uh, mechanisms there. I can't, can't quite say we, we laid it out quite as nicely there. But that said, uh, we really focused on the message that speed kills which is essentially one of the, uh, I mean, if you look at that, that to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Professor, on this, really what that shows is, you know, you've opened up the streets, you've obviously got more speeding, therefore you're having more fatalities, and it's also showing up more with uh, pedestrians and cyclists, um, as we have more essential workers out on the streets, not necessarily, and some of this I'm drawing a long straw, not necessarily, in buses, um, but are traveling in other methods, hence the, you've got less people traveling on, which is a known thing, traveling on um, mass transit, and they're still essential workers, they still need to get there. And so you're essentially putting more people on the streets, they're more at risk, and, and they are more vulnerable. And speed is the primary factor. There's obviously intoxication, uh, whether it's drugs or alcohol, there's distracted driving. These are all things that bring it about. But what brings the actual fatality is the impact from a high rate of speed. Yeah. So that, that was a primary message in World Day of Remembrance. And it was a uh, World Day of Remembrance. We, we decided to focus on the, the most dangerous intersection in Los Angeles, Slauson and Western. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have in 2020, um, we're, we're able to get data almost up to the week in the city of Los Angeles of traffic collisions. And um, so every week or two, their, their data set, which is an open data source is updated in terms of where the traffic collisions are. And we, we have all that data going back 10 years. And 
um, we had done it. Uh, we had an analysis that was done by an organization called Crosstown, Crosstown LA, and they had done a full analysis of all of the intersections and which ones were the most dangerous in 2020. And Slauson and Western, which is typically in the top 10 anyway, was the most dangerous. Which is, uh, and, and when we were there, I mean, we were there for three hours, and there was 30,000 cars that went through that one intersection in three hours. We had a, we had a person clicking it away. Uh, to check how many vehicles were were going through while we were there on a Sunday. This is on a this is on a Sunday, hmm. and um, so and it was very evident. You know, some of the things that were wrong with this intersection were obvious. I mean, I'm not a traffic engineer. I am an advocate. I, I you know, safe works on advocacy and grassroots and empowering the people on a grassroots level, and it was very obvious why this intersection was so dangerous, at least some of the factors, just from, from my perspective and from the people that were walking the street there, walking the intersection. Anyway, it was, it was quite an event and we got quite a lot of media coverage and, and actually we have even more media coverage coming on this way. I think we ended up reaching about six point, uh, hold on, 7.4 million impressions between all of the media connected with that event. And so what's the World Day of Remembrance usually for, for road traffic victims? What is there, when did this start? I just remember it coming around a few years ago. Yeah, it's, um, it's a UN day. Um, it is part of their, uh, I think it was started, well, it was started in Europe originally and the UN adopted it as an official day as part of, they have a, you know, days throughout the year which they focus on a particular aspect of human rights or um, highlighting some particular thing might be human rights in general or domestic violence or something like that. So this one is road traffic victims. And um, they just finished a, a decade where they've been focusing on uh, traffic violence as a primary cause of death across the entire world and a whole strategic plan that they've been working on. Mostly they've, their work mostly affects third world countries. Um, that said, that World Day of Remembrance has been around for at least the last 10 years. And in the US, it hasn't really caught on until about, I would say about three years ago. Offer, I, I think, have you seen it in the last, I mean, I, I remember hearing about it about four years ago for the first time. Last three or four years, it's really started to pick up speed, I think, in the- I agree. Yeah. Um, we've SAFE has been involved with World Day of Remembrance for the last three years. We've done uh, various different things. And this year with South LA being a, a hotbed and a number of uh, victims who we work with from South LA who have lost loved ones or lost limbs and things like that, they really wanted to do something in their, their community to bring their community together. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. That's why Slauson and Western. You want to introduce yourself a little better, uh, Damien? <laughs> I mean, Nick, you know who I am. I mean, isn't that enough? <laughs> just, it'll just be the, my secret. Um, yeah. So uh, to introduce myself for those who don't know me, um, in February 2013, um, I'm an first, I'm an LA native. I've, I've been around LA, grown up in LA. Uh, casual cyclist. Um, and in 2013, I was riding my bike with my wife um, in Griffith Park, and I was hit and pinned underneath the car and dragged a 
nearly a quarter of a mile from the streets of Griffith Park onto and down the five freeway at freeway speeds. Um, obviously I lived to tell about it. It was nonetheless a real drag, which uh, if anyone wants to laugh about that, they can, it's okay, it is a joke. That's, I can make that joke. Um, I, I anyway. Was, I went, uh... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, awkward. No, no, it's okay, it, that's my joke. Um, I do have a uh, stand-up comedy routine that I actually have done in the past. Uh, missing one leg, it's a little rough though. Um, anyway, so I, I survived through that and I started with a, a whole uh, awareness raising event called Finish the Ride that um, focuses on hit and runs as a primary objective, um, bringing a, awareness to and addressing the subject of hit and runs, which LA is, is known as the hit and run capital of the US. And from there, Streets Are For Everyone was born. And Streets Are For Everyone is an organization that works on street safety for all road users. Uh, from a holistic perspective, we very much encompass and work on Vision Zero as a concept. Um, I'm a cyclist, so we're very, I have to say, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff connected with cycling, but we, we work with kids. We work with um, elderly and pedestrians and uh, on all issues connected with street safety and preventing the loss of life, the preventing lost lives as a result of traffic collisions. And so offer, uh, so you're working with a lot of data. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so that's kind of our expertise and our contribution is that we try to uh, look through the data and look for, we don't always get to see answers, but look for hints that can then either help allocate resources or um, better understand what is happening, provide some guidance that can potentially have an impact on policy. And then from you, maybe then it goes to people like, like back to Damien and people like Dorothy Wong, who we'll introduce in a moment, who then tell everybody that speed kills. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, uh, uh, and it's pretty easy to see the physics uh, make sense pretty easy. There was uh, a few decades back and maybe it's still in some people's mind that it's not, speed is not the problem. It's more the variance in speed that matters, but that, that's actually not true because all else equal, if you go at a higher speed, you're carrying a larger amount of kinetic energy and being able to either control that kinetic energy or contain that kinetic energy, that's the safety problem. And as humans, um, uh, um, as vehicle occupants, and definitely as pedestrians and bicycles, we cannot really sustain that amount of kinetic energy. So the whole safety uh, challenge is to figure out how to control or contain that kinetic energy, uh, or in other words, to build a system on which no one can be severely or fatally injured on. And if you're doing it at lower speeds, it's a much easier problem to solve. So definitely uh, speed kills. Thank you. And so Dorothy, uh, while we're waiting for Bibiana, uh, Damien's guest. Uh, Hello. Something. Dorothy's a council member of uh, Altadena here in uh, Southern California. And is Altadena its own city, right? Yeah. Uh, we're unincorporated Los right. Angeles County. And you're always talking about Berkeley Safe Check, right? You're, you're, you're sort of like a booster for it. Yes. And, and so, but you haven't met Offer, have you? No. Hello, Offer. Hello, Dorothy. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so 
Uh, do you want me to start uh, from the beginning? Well, yeah, and and how how you know how does what Offer does Berkeley Safe Track, which yeah. then stands for Safe Transportation Research and Education Center. You've said some that it, it has an app that you use where you tell stories and mm -hmm. yeah, and you get so yeah, so it, it basically. Um, so of course I know Damien too. I, my background is uh, uh, basically I bought a bicycle and it changed my life and it and it changed my life in so many ways, um, from recreation uh, to uh, living my uh, childhood dream and I became an elite athlete at bicycle racing. Uh, and then I realized why um, why are my friends getting killed on the street? what is happening, what is all this injury. Um, and I really became an advocate. Um, and so I think that's how I met uh, you, Nick, actually, and Damien. And so from there, um, I made my way into wanting to make a difference in my own community of Altadena. And I ran for town council and started a traffic safety and mobility committee uh, for the town council. Then it was like, okay, what are we gonna do next? Um, and so I don't know the actual order of events, but they all sort of happened at once because Berkeley Safe Trek um, offered these sort of, um, uh, the community uh, bicycling or pedestrian and bicycle safety training, which I had never heard of before. <laughs> but then as we were trying to be more proactive, um, I, I started to go, oh, I started to learn about it. So with our Berkeley Safe Trek training, uh, that was actually done in partnership with California Walks. And then California Walks uh, worked with us and Berkeley Safe Trek in partnership. And we decided to do a safe routes to school assessment at our local um, elementary school, Jackson Elementary. Um, and from that, uh, our most dangerous street is Woodbury. And the school happened to be right on Woodbury. So Berkeley Safe Trek through their community um, training, I always get it mixed up, pedest community pedestrian and bicycling <laughs> safety training, uh, basically brought in, we were then asked to bring in, so we are lucky because our traffic enforcement is the California Highway Patrol. <laughs> so, uh, so we've got some, you know, connection with the data there is pretty much our traffic collision data along with uh, LA County Fire. They, they also respond to traffic collisions. So there is a little bit of data missing, but primarily uh, CHP is our, is our traffic collision report data. So we got the community together, Highway Patrol, uh, the Sheriff's Department, uh, they respond. They're usually the first responders, but the report goes through CHP. And so and and CHP is, that's the data that, that Safe Track, that Berkeley Safe Track uses. Yes. Right. So, um, so from that, um, we obviously involved the school, and it was actually Pasadena Unified School District. Even though we're Altadena, we use Pasadena Schools. Uh, you know, we're, we have public schools in Altadena, and uh, so ultimately, we got the parents, the school, uh, uh, LA County Public Works, the engineering uh, for the traffic and mobility. Um, engineers with LA County attended. 
the residents attended, and we had this amazing program where we all, it, it basically became a report and it assessed the safety around um, the school. Speeding was a concern. So the residents kept saying over and over again, how about a four-way stop sign here and here? <laughs> and since LA County uh, was there, ultimately uh, they were listening and taking notes and we, were, we did a little speed measurements along Woodbury and the speeds were 45 miles an hour past the school, right? <laughs> That's not a good thing. Um, and so it even led to uh, traffic signal improvements. Um, and then from there, uh, we never looked back. We then uh, just completed a, a complete streets assessment uh, report uh, from Berkeley Safe Trek. And we're in the final draft of that. And that again is in partnership with uh, Berkeley Safe Trek. Uh, we pick some um, streets and intersections for them to study and that program, uh, we applied for it. And that was a, again, a free program for us, which is really helpful because if we wait for the county, they have so many unincorporated areas. Uh, and so our proactiveness as a community really helped accelerate some of the changes. We also did a uh, bicycle safety training assessment. So we got a, another mini report there and then the county was so excited because they go, oh, Altadena is really excited about trying to figure things out. And in 2019, the county um, adopted its Vision Zero Action Plan. Uh, we have a chief office of sustainability, uh, but at the end of the day, it was really the partnership with Berkeley Safe Trek um, that got us going. And even, um, oh, so the county is actually applying for an active transportation planning grants so that Altadena can have an active transportation plan. And I think if it weren't for us uh, really being proactive uh, with Berkeley Safe Trek and, and their programs that they provided for us, uh, that wouldn't happen. We also have a uh, daycare, a childcare, that's um, applying to expand and go in right at that dangerous street, Woodbury. We also have a Starbucks that's potentially coming to, uh, again, Woodbury. So. All of this data that we've done just from the elementary school, from the bicycling assessment, uh, now gives us um, a lot uh, that can deal with if we're going to be expanding a childcare on a street where speeds, uh, and then again, the data, the street stories, we're able to actually have the community and then also document, um, you know, visibility issues. So at the end of the day, we have been, we, we didn't stop the project, but we really are making the project really look at uh, the safety of the community um, and the amount of increase that this childcare center um, could have that ultimately can hurt them. I mean, the students, the school and the community and really having the county look at how we make Woodbury safer. And so again, in our bicycling assessment, we actually there is a bicycle lane that goes right past the childcare um, and the elementary school. So um, it's just an amazing program. And um, I'm so excited that uh, you can't see it here, but I was able to take um, the collision data um, from this, the street stories where the community can actually participate in input on how they feel about things. The county also has data 
uh, but I was able to really uh, make a, a case with using the Berkeley SafeTrack data uh, to reconsider their lane configuration, think about curb extensions. Again, a lot of the education uh, learning that's been going on and, um, and even thinking about safe pedestrian crossing. And because of the Berkeley SafeTrack, I was able to bring up three fatalities that happened along Woodbury because of the speeds and the visibility issues. Um, and that data <laughs> was from Berkeley SafeTrack. So uh, I think it really gets our community going and we have so much potential. Um, the county is also doing slow streets right now. And uh, I would say in these last couple of weeks, people are feeling a lot of stress in our community. So sadly, some of our signs have actually been getting um, hit by cars. Um, and uh, sometimes I don't know if it's intentionally, but at the end of the day, we also have a young lady who was skateboarding on one of the streets where there isn't safe place to skateboard other than in the street. And she's in uh, intensive care right now uh, because she was uh, struck by a vehicle. And, you know, so at the end of the day, the community, the more the community knows uh, and the more that the community can help um, and the more that they understand is definitely key because if your local leaders don't really understand it or if your traffic engineers, like what Damien's doing, really calling attention to these issues, um, you know, and we can't just write off all of these, um, you know, all of these incidents. Pedestrian fatalities, right? Bicyclists, skateboarders getting hit. And then even we've had traffic collisions where people are getting so upset with each other with road rage. And if you think about it, if the street design offers that potential for, again, high speeds, uh, so we had two people have road rage and one of them ended up pulling a knife on the other person. This is an Altadena, right? Um, and it just comes from, I think we're in a lot of stress as well. Um, a lot of people are at home, they're not working. And so we really are playing a, a game of mental health right now during COVID. Anyway, that's my Wong story. <laughs> Did you say Wong? Wong, my long Wong story. Um. <laughs> Offer you can see, I mean, I don't know how, how much you get to you get out to places where Berkeley Safe Track is actually motivating people like this. I'm sure you're doing this all over. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, uh, and uh, uh, Dorothy, it's always great to hear that you're accessing all of these programs. For the most part, these programs are funded by the California Office of Traffic Safety, and we uh, develop many of them in our. Um, uh, passing it on to the communities, uh, uh, but the key is actually the work that's done by the communities because these resources are available for free for many communities. Uh, you basically just need to apply uh, and hope that we have enough for the year, but it's it's the partnership with the local communities that allows or almost empowers the community to take action. And when we think about pedestrian and bicycle safety, uh, that partnership is critical because unlike uh, uh, kind of roads for vehicle, design for roads for vehicles, uh, there's a lot more structure and kind of strict guidance. But when we come to talk about pedestrian and bicycle design, um, it's much harder to do a standard design because all of the public space is already accounted for. So if you want to add a bike lane, you're going to need to take something away. 
And that's where the partnership with the community is critical to find a solution that would first be safe, but also work and continue to support the community. So we're just offering these resources through the um, California Office of Traffic Safety, but it's actually the communities that are seeking that out, that they're doing the most important work. It, it seems like to me that something that is being suggested is that if uh, when there's more congestion, you have fewer fatalities, fewer serious injuries, and when there are injuries, they're minor. I mean, you have to think that maybe we need more congestion. It's a, it's a possible way of thinking, but the, uh, the key is designing the streets and having the right lens. And Damien talked about Vision Zero, and uh, uh, Dorothy talked about Vision Zero, and uh, a Vision Zero or Safe System are both a very similar approach, and they're kind of multi-layered, but at the end of the day, it has two key components. The first one is road users, street users make mistakes. We're all going to mess up at some point, not necessarily intentionally, but at some point we're going to have a situation of misjudgment, and we want the street design to be able to accommodate that. Now, the tech industry has been has figured it out decades ago that the user has to kind of the user is always right. If you can't operate your iPhone, it's not your fault; it's Apple's fault. Uh, so same thing for the streets, but we're not in that state of mind. On the streets, the state of mind is you have to behave perfectly, and then nothing bad will happen. But we know that that's not how humans work. So the first component is recognizing and incorporating into the street design that users are, go are going to make some mistakes. The second part is the speed and the kinetic energy, and that's allowing the system designing the streets in a way that when something does go wrong, it's not going to have a catastrophic outcome. And again, it's street design. So thinking of roundabouts versus four-way signalized intersections, uh, um, if something goes wrong in the roundabout, for the most part, it would be a, a, a sideswipe crash that can have some damage, maybe even a minor injury, but it almost eliminates fatal and severe crashes. So it all boils down, not necessarily to congestion um, makes it safer. Yeah, it does. But uh, the key point is we want to design the roads such that um, no one can be severely or fatally injured on. Thank you, and Offer and Dorothy and Damien. You want to introduce Viviana, who's here? Yeah, Viviana, why don't you why don't you uh, introduce yourself in terms of um, who you are and why you're involved in this? Why are you standing up for safer streets and, and your story? So my name is Viviana Diaz. I'm 24 years old and a double survivor, well not double, I would say double survivor of the victims of people that were affected by hit and runs. My father passed away on Mother's Day 2011 as he was leaving work, uh, coming back home on a motorcycle collision when an SUV made an illegal left turn. He was not on the left turn lane and he just decided, oh, I'm going to turn left, and then collided with him. Up uh, until more recently, in July of this year, on the 8th, we were, my mom remarried and uh, had another child. So my little sisters and I, along with my stepdad, we were riding our bikes back home. Um, this was a little 
kind of ritual that we had set in stone already after he would get back home from work he would take the bikes out we would hop on and then just go to the park for the for the last little bit of sun time that we had so uh we were coming back and we were actually already on our block we we were me and it was i was leading my little sister was behind me and then it was my baby sister and then uh, the tail the end was my stepdad so i turned into our alley and so did my little sister and within seconds we just heard the collision um we heard the impact and so i turn around i see i see him up in the air and i see my little sister along with my baby nephew because he was riding along in the basket they were um, sliding across the pavement and just to go through something like this the second time around i felt like i needed to be an advocate for change i needed to speak up i needed to urge the community to not just stop and render aid but like hey you know we have to be more responsible drivers we have to be held accountable for our actions we have to make a difference really and i'm all for voicing my opinion i'm all for speaking up and that's when i connected with Damien and he's been my guide ever since yeah this were both of them were hit and runs is that right not the first one the first one he stopped to render aid okay but but the, there was the second one was a hit was a yeah. hit and run and Correct. uh he was recently caught yes the 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 first week of this month yeah and unfortunately your your stepdad also passed away and uh a few days later in the hospital and um so leaving your your family without the the main breadwinner yes and the babies they they walked away with minor minor injuries so yeah, that, that was a miracle in itself yeah and and i know that you've you know via streets are for everyone you've connected up with other victims and what what tell me your perspective on the streets and what's happening in i guess really in south la because those are most of the people you've talked to no you've talked to people in other places also tell me your perspective in terms of the people that you've um met and um have been also have been victims in various different ways well especially in the streets of south los angeles i think we should really push the city not just for bike lanes not just for speed bumps more stop signs but really to urge the community to not just not be a reckless driver and, and to be more responsible and, and acknowledge their actions behind the wheel because it really is you have to look out for those that are the more susceptible to injuries because they're in a bike they're a pedestrian they're not in a two-ton vehicle like you are so I feel like not just doing community outreach but really speaking up and doing these rallies and doing these protests and making your voice heard goes a very long way. Yeah. And and I'm going to just flip this over to to offer and to um to dot. How much does it make a difference to have 
victims out there advocating? Does that, you know, how much does that change? It makes all the difference. Yes, it makes a very <laughs> huge difference because people will stop and see the protesters and then people will stop and, and stare at the amputee. They will, their, their attention is more like, oh my God, what happened to this person? And then it's more of like, a, okay, like what's going on here? Oh, this, this has got my attention. So for these people to come out and um, be a part of this, it's just, it's really helpful and it's really great because it can't, it can't just be, um, they, ha they have to step out of their comfort zone and be able to join as well. Yeah, and, and offer, offer, do you, what do you, what's your perspective on that in terms of what you've been seeing as, as part of Berkeley Safe Trek? Um, I think it's huge and it, um, or in relation to the conversation we're having today, if we're talking about hit and run, um, uh, um, uh, deterrence theory, which is more of a, uh, um, a theory about what gets people not to do things they're not supposed to. Uh, it, uh, it postulates that there are three parts of that that people take into account uh, before uh, committing a crime. The first one is the perception of uh, um, severity. It's, it's basically the likelihood, the severity, and the swiftness of the consequence. And when you think about hit and run, it is something that most people don't really have a prior perception of that. And uh, it's not something that they've thought about. And then when they're faced with the situation, they do very biased uh, um, response or mental math, or maybe just a panic of leaving a scene, uh, which uh, um, has a, a horrible consequence. So talking about it, describing it, and making sure that more and more people understand um, that uh, what should be their response when something catastrophic like that uh, happens is critical. So without these voices, uh, people are going to have even less of a perception of the uh, swiftness, likelihood, and uh, severity of the consequence. Uh, so talking about it is, uh, can really help uh, people understand what are the consequences of this. And uh, the reality, I believe, it's something in the order of 40 to 50% um, of the hit and run drivers uh, get identified eventually. Uh, and it's later on, it's even more than that. So uh, uh, most people believe it's actually much smaller, especially if a pedestrian or cyclist was hit because uh, um, the opportunity to disappear uh, makes it easier. The second thing is, um, and that's kind of the role of advocates in traffic safety work, and I, I don't kind of have a very short description of that now, but in the uh, uh, safe systems world, we try to map what a complex system is like and look at all of the relationships between all of the things that affect traffic safety. And uh, uh, the work is then to identify, it's called reinforcing loops or balancing loops. And these are kind of mechanisms that then can help us see how one thing in the system affects another one. And when we look at these, what we see is that, um, the place of advocates in these loops is critical because um, they are the ones that keep on echoing and reiterating and requesting uh, agencies, policymakers, um, um, also communities to do more work and that creates the action. So uh, uh, the role that uh, advocates play is um, uh, uh, 
at least as important as anyone else, probably more, because we're able to show that without that, it's actually uh, things would move a lot more slowly. So they wouldn't necessarily progress at the same level. Can I quote you on that? Can I take that quote and send it out? Which part? But what he just said about the importance of advocates, it's just that's I 100% agree, but it was so like that that has some weight to it there, not only just because you you're studying this stuff, but this is your life. And, you know, that's that's such a I think such an that statement that you just said about the importance of advocates, that last one there was. I, yes, quote ahead. <laughs> um, never really published it, but it's kind of based a lot more on. Um, uh, there is some data to support it, which was never published, but it's, as you said, that's kind of our reality. And we can see the difference in communities that are led by advocates versus communities that are led by extremely hardworking and well-intentioned agencies. It's just not progressing at the same pace. Yeah, absolutely. Dorothy, what do you, what do you, I mean, from your perspective as both an advocate um, on the ground, but also as now a, you know, a politician, a civic leader, advocates playing a role in the work you've done with Altadena? Uh, I would say uh, wholeheartedly, uh, that is absolutely true. I did want to say that uh, getting the community understanding, uh, you know, learning why it's important to make the streets safer, everyone you know, people go, oh, traffic, but we, when it comes down to injury, <laughs> and even this young gal, uh, she's in the hospital right now. Again, she was on her skateboard. Um, and there is a GoFundMe, right? But at the same time, lifting her voice up is really important right now. <laughs> so I find that responsibility. But uh, as Bibiana said, it's like, and what you're doing is really getting out there and shaking it up and saying, this is unacceptable. And because I've been learning more and more about street design, I've even gone to the Caltrans classes as an elected official, you're actually, you can go to these different, you can learn, you can keep learning from all the different agencies. Um, so I take the bicycling, it's now, it's called the Introduction to Bicycle Transportation Planning and Design. So I'm taking the same classes as the traffic engineers and when I take the class, I've taken it two years now, um, and it's gone from a bicycle lane class to an active transportation class, which is really exciting to see that change, um, you know, that people are wanting to pay attention to it. But all of those engineers, so many of them don't, don't ride a bicycle. I don't know how much they actually walk. Do you know what I mean? So like having the voice of people who understand it going through it is really important. And maybe as a bicyclist, I'm super empathetic when I see this happen. But at the same time, the more the community can understand street design is just crazy. So the street where this gal was struck by a vehicle, she was on her skateboard, it was dark um, and the car didn't see her. But if you look at the street, the street has virtually no lights and for whatever reason, there aren't any centerline reflectors, anything that can help with visibility. And then even within the design of that sort of center turn lane, you know, versus, hey, maybe we can add more space like a bike lane or even um, adding more room to, um, you know, a painted shoulder instead of a center lane to keep cars moving 
ultimately makes a lot of people just sort of blind to pedestrians or blind to bicyclists or skateboarders and the skateboarder has to use the street. So I can tell you as a council member, when highway patrol comes up, they tell the report at our council meeting, I would say on average, it's anywhere from 20 to 40% of our collisions are hit and runs, right? In Altadena, um, which is, you know, I mean, we have very old street design and street design that is designed to move cars, but we also have been blessed with trees, which, um, and some limited, you know, uh, anyway, the, we kind of have a, a blend of old stuff. But I do want to say when we did the, uh, community pedestrian bicycle safety training. Uh, we did that one pilot and we had other organizations join us who then applied for more grants through the state of California. And they then got uh, enough money to do seven safe routes to school assessments in the city of Pasadena because you know we really got organized. So back to one, getting involved is really important. Um, doing everything we can to not accept that there was a pedestrian collision when the report is made <laughs> and then just sit back, right? And most of the time what I'm seeing in my community is, is street design, is visibility issues, uh, is lighting, is uh, speed and things that can be corrected. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the collisions happen in the same intersections <laughs> as everyone talked about the same part of the streets, the similar, if you just go back and look at the Berkeley data, you can see the broadside collisions, right? The side swiping, the rear end collision, and just be able to look at it and go, wow, <laughs> you know, why don't we look at this? And so, you know, hopefully um, we can just kind of keep going because this work uh, is, is actually, I can't see enough how exciting it is that all of the elements of climate change even are, you know, and different modes of sustainability um, are leading us in the right way, but the advocates are definitely the voice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, had, I had one more question for, for Viviana and, and I wanted to bring this up. Viviana, I was, um, I don't know if you've been tracking Viviana recently, but um, in LA, mostly in South LA, uh, there's, since Tuesday, there's been four fatal collisions. Um, there was just uh, Thanksgiving Day, there was an 11 year old that was hit and killed on Thanksgiving Day in South LA. And uh, there was another triple hit and run that actually got national media attention that happened in South LA the day before that. So it's been a it's been a rough week in terms of um, traffic safety, traffic violence in in the city of Los Angeles specifically, and I, I don't know what what are your thoughts on where where do we need to go? Like I I'd like to just sort of get a perspective from each one of you of, of where what's the most effective thing that we need to do at this point to make things safer. And Bibiana, I'm going to let you take that first. I think we had previously talked about this, or I mentioned it, uh, just because of the uproar in hit and runs, especially, people are just 
blatantly disregarding human life and not stopping, not rendering aid and just going about their day like nothing happened. And that's really the number one thing that I think we should focus on that then needs to be uh, voiced and raised awareness to is urging the community to really pull over, check, check on these individuals, check, help them call, call it for an ambulance, call for assistance. There, there should be absolutely no reason why you flee the scene and, and not care about the person you leave on the ground, possibly like ready to just die. And that's the, the next project that I kind of wanted to tackle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Offer, what, what would you say from your perspective is the most, the single most important thing that we could be focusing on at this point in time to make streets safer? I would pick speed. And uh, um, I think there are a lot of, there is a lot of need to um, change how, uh, or the speed setting guidelines. I was a member of uh, uh, Zero Traffic Fatalities Task Force that was commissioned by California Assembly Bill 2363. And as mm -hmm. part of that, uh, we worked with representatives from all over the state uh, to make recommendations to the Secretary of CalSTA about what things can be done. One of the outcomes that it produced is uh, trying to uh, reevaluate the speed setting guidelines in California. It's historically been based on something called the 85th percentile, and that uh, is shown to uh, generate speed limits that, are, uh, that can be unsafe. And it definitely makes it worse over time because people go according to that speed limit and then it keeps on creeping up. And the most promising uh, approach to set safe speed limits is are aligned with Vision Zero and Safe System. And it's the idea that you want to make sure that you have this alignment between uh, vehicle design, street design, and speed. And these are kind of the three triangular um, pillars that you need to make sure you have uh, that are able to provide the protection to vulnerable road users and all users from this excessive amount of kinetic energy. So speed is the one that um, uh, um, matters the most because that's the one that you can uh, change faster than the others because street design takes time, vehicle design takes time. And the idea is that you need to set the speed such that it would work with the other two and in parallel, keep on improving street design and, and, and vehicle design, but it's the, the speed that that's, a, that's the thing you can act on uh, um, today. Yeah, yeah, and, and Dot, Dorothy, what, yeah. what would you say the single most important thing is to focus on to make streets safer from your perspective? It's hard to say one, you know me, um, but um, from my perspective, I wanted to say education and collaboration are key because if we can get people starting to think how important safer streets are, thinking about them uh, using alternative modes of transportation can also make them uh, more considerate of, and, and not just getting in the car and then just driving, right? Um, and if we impress by educating people more, uh, if we impress 
more people to love walking, biking, uh, using transit, understanding that we're also paying millions of dollars uh, for sustainability and resilience, <laughs> that we can really look at these multi-benefit projects um, uh, and work with. So for example, if I'm working with um, Safe Routes to School, but we also want to plant trees and capture water, we can also be motivating more people to get to start thinking about design and start thinking just about each other. So like, it is really education and, and collaboration. That's my one statement. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And then I think, I think we should turn this over to, to Nick here. Cause uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Nick, I've sort of side, yeah. side swiped this whole thing here and been chatting with everyone and enjoying it, but um, I hope I you don't mind. I would call that more of a buffered, you buffered it. <laughs> Good. Um, I, I would have to say, uh, obviously, I agree with you offer in terms of speed as, as a thing. But what, what I, my, from my perspective, um, I have to very much agree that we've got to create the voices, to create the political will to make some hard choices because there are some systemic situations. There's some systemic problems in how we design our streets and how we go about transporting people that kill people. And that's gonna require some serious changes in our infrastructure and in how, in how we go about this, which are all documented. It's known, sure, I'm sure there's a thousand more studies that offer and, and others can do to, to prove the point that speed kills, that um, bike lanes save lives, that pedestrians are vulnerable road users, you know, all of these things. And, and there's gotta be the political will to make those hard choices. And that means we need to have more advocates to stand up together as a single voice to go, hey, enough is enough. We need a thousand more Bibiana Diaz's. Unfortunately, there are literally thousands of them out there who have been hit or killed or whatever, and they need to stand up. We need to stand up together as a voice and, and as a voice, one voice together, requesting, demanding that streets be made safer, that it's not acceptable for people to die because they're going to school or they're going to work. Then we will actually be able to affect some of those hard changes that have to be made that we know what to do, that Offer knows, he knows what to do. He knows the things that need to be changed, the laws, the infrastructure, etc. I'm I'm on a soapbox, but that's my that's my viewpoint on that. Uh, yeah, this, this is a soapbox. That's what this is. And uh, so thank thank you everyone. Offer, did you want to respond to anything or wrap it up? Hey, uh, what should we do to? Stay in touch with everybody. Anyone can contact me. My email address is damiankevitt at streetsareforeveryone.org. Anyone's welcome to reach out to me. I have advocates and victims reach out to the organization all the time. And we work to, to work with them to raise their voice and to work with politicians and civic leaders and, and um, to make sensible policy changes. Um, 
you can always reach me via my website as well. If you forget that email address, please reach out to me. Offer, I'd love to connect up with you further on this. Dot, of course, it's good to see you again and we should work more together. It's been a wild pandemic time period and Viviana and I are already working together in South LA, so we're good. And uh, Dorothy offered Viviana. Viviana. My email is my first name, B as in beautiful, I-B-I-A-N-A at streetsareforeveryone.org. Happy to connect with everyone. My contact is just like my last name, G-R-E-M-B-E-K at berkeley.edu. As was said, and I'm reiterating, we have knowledge, we have resources. Uh, we're here to, uh, at the end of the day, support the communities. Great. I will actually be uh, teaching uh, bicycling, uh, traffic skills 101, and um, also commuting classes via LA County Parks and Recreation. So uh, you can sign up for the class in Altadena. You could reach me at uh, D-O-R-O-T-H-Y, Dorothy, dot, which is just a period, Wong, at altadenatowncouncil.org, or you can just look me up on altadenatowncouncil.org and find me there. And also I have a Safe Streets Committee link, uh, so you can see the different reports um, that we've done with Berkeley Safe Trek so far. I do want to end my thought with number one is mindfulness of each other. Like if we can use this time of COVID, um, this time uh, of change and being more mindful of each other. So I do a lot of uh, work with uh, social justice, racial injustice in Altadena. We just actually worked with the Rodney King Foundation as well as um, the uh, Way to Happiness and uh, My Tribe Rise. And I've also been advocating uh, traffic safety everywhere I go. Many opportunities for people to, to contact all of you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is Bike Talk PFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 